before we come to the communion table. Let's stand in honor of reading God's word. I'm going to read the passage. We're going to look at this amazing parable this morning. Matthew 22. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he went out, and he, and he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. And again he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat and livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his farm, another to his business. The rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you will find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out to the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, give us understanding this morning. Lord, I pray that I might be spirit-filled as I teach that the message would be your message to this flock. And Lord, I pray that you give us application in our lives that we might go from here as your children better equipped to minister while you give us time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This parable is a third in Jesus' trilogy of judgment parables given in response to the Jewish religious leaders who maliciously challenged his authority. Jesus was never more messianic than when he came into the temple on that Monday and he cleansed the temple. What had happened is God had intended Israel not to be a missionary that went out to the world, but he created the earth understanding what he was going to do so that all the world came by Israel. And they would hear the story of this amazing God that saves and provides Israel. Instead, Israel began to think that God chose them because they were better than everybody else. The Old Testament says, look to the pit from whence you were pulled out. Abraham was just a pagan like all the other pagans. God just set his affection on Abraham and the nation of Israel to make them a nation that all the world would say, what do they have in their God? All the world had their own false gods, but here was the true God. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up in church in Sunday school, I always thought about the nation of Israel kind of like it was a local church. That, you know, there's a couple unbelievers, but for the most part, everybody just kind of went along and they loved the Lord and they worshiped faithfully. That's not true. The nation of Israel, when you read the Old Testament record, was really more like the nation of America. There's a few people, there's always a remnant, but for the most part, people like these people are just doing their own thing. They're observers of the Christian life. And they would say they believe, but when it really comes to applying grace and living a supernatural life that God calls us to, no, they're too busy with getting their own things done. They want kind of a good luck charm, like idolaters do. 
you know, to get them through the hard times and when bad things happen, they take and give God a moment of silence. But other than that, they don't want God bothering them and what they want because even sometimes as believers, we begin to think that we can bless ourselves a little bit better than God can, which was lived out in the life of, of the Israelites because when you come to Malachi, the end of the Old Testament era, they weren't tithing. They weren't taking the sabbatical years. They weren't doing the year of Jubilee where all the land went back to its original owners, which signified both the tithe and the year of Jubilee, that God owns the land, God owns everything. We are just stewards. Same principle in our life. When you tithe, you're not giving God something that's yours. You're recognizing in that tithe that everything you have is God's. And as a believer, you just love to tell God that. But not the nation of Israel. For the most part, they were an unbelieving nation in spite of the unbelievable blessings that God had poured out upon them. And instead of wanting relationship with this God that for a while in the tabernacle and even in the temple, there was his visible presence in the Shekinah glory. They just were entitled and took it for granted. And so God sent them his own son. They, they punished the servants and the prophets. Jesus said, which one of the prophets haven't you killed? And so they've challenged Jesus, by what right do you, by what authority do you have to come in and cleanse the temple? See, the court of the Gentiles was supposed to be the place that all the nations could come. They couldn't go further than that because there's the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women and then the court of the men and then the holy of holies. And Gentiles could only come to the court of the Gentiles and the Jews said, we don't need that. We'll just use that for our business. And they had set up, and Jesus said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. You've turned it into a den of thieves. And that's exactly what it was. They were ripping their own people off. So he cleanses the temple. He takes off. He, won't, he takes over. He wouldn't even let people walk through there or carry a burden through there. He was in charge. And you may ask, how can they welcome him on, on the, in, in the glorious triumphal entry on Sunday with palm leaves and hail to Messiah and, and, and the king is here and, and the Messiah is here and then kill him on Friday. And the answer is Monday and Tuesday. He cleanses the temple. Tuesday he shows up. They say, what authority to do this? And he spends this long time. Now he's been teaching the temple. Get this picture. And so the big shot Pharisees and Sadducees, they don't like each other, but they like Jesus less. So they show up kind of in front of Jesus. And so he just gives them those three parables. The first, remember, he said, now which uh, a father has two sons, and he tells the first son to go to work in his vineyard, and the guy says, no, I'm not going to do it. But later he is convicted, he repents, and he does it. The second son says, oh, yeah, I'll do it, but he never does it. Which one did the will of his father? And so he asked the leaders that were interrupting him to answer, and they said, well, the, the son that said no first and then went ahead and went. Mm -hmm. And he said, that's why sinners and adulterers and, fair, and, and publicans will enter into the kingdom before you. Because you heard the message of John the Baptist. You saw the difference in their lives, and you still rejected the message. He gave him another chance. He said, a man bought a vineyard. And when it was time to get the produce from the vineyard, he hired servants to work the vineyard. But when he sent his other servants to go get the fruit, those servants chased them away, and he sent more servants, and they killed them and punished them. He said, Vani, I'll send my own son. Surely they'll respect my son. But when the son came, those wicked vineyard workers said, we'll kill the son, and we'll take 
the inheritance for ourselves. There was a battle going on for the kingdom. Jesus drew a line to the sand. The Pharisees knew and the Sadducees knew they were trying to kill Jesus. Jesus wanted to let them know, I know you're trying to kill me. But Jesus said in John 10, no man takes my life from me. I, take, I lay it down on my own accord and I'll take it up again. And it said at the end of that passage, the Pharisees and Sadducees knew that he was talking about them. He said, have you never read, and oh, that just had to grate on those people so bad. Have you never read the scripture? Because they were supposed to be the experts in the scripture. They were the, law, they were the lawyers. Their law books were supposed to be something they knew. Have you never read? The cornerstone that the builders set aside has become the chief cornerstone. And it's a marvelous thing in our eyes. He fulfilled the scripture. He was doing miracles in front of them. And they hated him for it. So he gives them this last and harshest parable about a king, an amazing king who has put on an amazing banquet for his son's wedding. He invites the people in his kingdom to come and they're just too busy. Now what kind of an affront is that to the king when you say you're too busy to come and enjoy this feast that he's laid out? I know the latest royal wedding, Harry, Prince Harry and... Uh, Meghan Markle, the whole world, you couldn't even watch the news without getting a picture of it. Oh, the whole world was taken in. And everybody wanted an invitation just to go to the ceremony. I don't know if they got to go to the feast. He's inviting his whole nation not just to come to the ceremony, but to come to the feast. And he's such a gracious king. Instead of just sending the invitations and he can tell that they're just not interested. The book of Malachi ends he says, you know, you abhor my offering table. And they say, Psh, how have we abhorred it? He said, bringing the lame and the blind and the leftover for offering, that's where. And you hold back the tithe. They were ignoring the great feast that the king had invited them to. And they had killed the prophets. They killed John the Baptist. And the last group of servants that the king sent out, he sent another group. And he said, listen, go remind them what kind of a party it's going to be. Now listen. When I do a wedding ceremony, we get to the point when I'm doing them. I don't do a lot of flowery stuff. And everybody gets to listen, but I'm talking to that bride and I'm talking to that groom. And I go to Ephesians chapter 5. And I say, you're going to have to be filled with the Spirit in order to have a Christian wedding. And God gives everything right there for marriage counseling is right there in Ephesians 5, 18 through the end of the chapter. You don't need a lot of books. and a lot of books are written on it. And I'm not against marriage counseling. But here's what it is. I'll give you some marriage counseling this morning for free. And it's what I do right there at the pulpit when we're talking. It takes about 10 minutes and the wedding's over. And I said, listen, the Bible says here, young lady, that you are to honor him like you just married Jesus. And I know he's not Jesus. That's why it's going to take filling of the Holy Spirit. And young man, God has given you just as impossible a task God commands you to love her as much as Jesus loved the church, died and gave himself for her. That's an impossible task too. You also need to be filled with the Spirit. But when you have a couple that actually are believers and have the Holy Spirit and they submit to the Word of God, then they ought to be a couple that is just trying to outdo the other in being like Christ and therefore become an inspiration to the other one to be more like Jesus Christ. Christian marriage can be a wonderful, wonderful thing. You see, I want people to hear. Years ago, I did my son Ben's wedding. My dad, who's visiting with us this morning, 
came and he got, we got done and he said, it's kind of short, wasn't it? I said, you listened, didn't you? Because I know what people want to get to is the feast. Yeah, we're going to get this done, but they're going to get married anyway. Hurry up. Now listen, we want to have some important things to say, but we make that covenant and then we go to the party and the king says, remind people what it's going to be like. Now every one of my sons had a, a, just a fun wedding. But my son Benjamin, I think his father had a little bit more money. And it was amazing. You people that went, it was just, I mean, I was eating things. I didn't know what it was, but it was wonderful. It was up on top of a mountain in Colorado. And they had it all laid out there. And I knew ahead of time because we went to a cake tasting. I've never been to one of those before. So Kat could pick out her cake, you know. And it was $6 a slice. We were walking out of there later and I was looking at all that cake slices and going, whoa, poor Poor Hans, paying for a lot of cake that's going away. And there was great music and celebration. That's what a wedding is about. And these weddings in this time, when a king puts a wedding on, it can go on for weeks. And he says, everything's been provided. Come to the rich feast. They have had Jesus in their midst for three years. And he has fed the people and he has healed the people and brought them back from the dead. They can see what kind of king they serve up close and personal. Instead, they're going to kill him. Now, he doesn't get the Pharisees and Sadducees involved in this third uh, parable like he did the first two. Because he knows they won't be taken in the third time. They look bad with their big answers the first two times. So he said, this is what the king's going to do. He's going to go burn and destroy that city. And that's what exactly what happened 40 years later. Jesus has prophesied more than once. And 40 years after he went back to heaven, Titus, the Roman general, came in and he leveled Jerusalem and killed 1,100,000 Jews and threw their bodies over the wall because they rejected their Messiah. And so Jesus said, that king said, those people weren't worthy. Well, is it you could, they, is possible to be worthy of that invitation? No. The worthiness would be that you accepted the invitation of the king's gracious offer. But they rejected it. They're not worthy, so go out to the highways and find good and evil and anybody that will come. Paul said, God intends to make his nation jealous by the Gentiles. And God has set them aside temporarily. One day he's going to save the nation of Israel. But God said, because of their disobedience, we have this great opportunity, all the rest of the nations, to accept this invitation, this gracious invitation of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so all the people came in, the good and the evil. They all came to the banquet hall. But then the king came into the banquet hall and he saw one man without wedding garments on. And he called him friend. Friend, how did you get into the wedding feast without wedding garments? Now, it would be something if everybody else had provided their own garments, but God doesn't expect anybody to bring their own garments. There's only one garment that will be acceptable to the Father, and that's the garments of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, this one... And he was telling the Jews, you may think you've, you've, you've accepted the invitation, but you can't come in your own righteousness. There needs to be a submission to the gospel. Jesus is going to die on the cross. They're going to reject their king. 
and he's going to die. And that's the only way that righteousness can be provided. It was not a political thing gone wrong. Jesus went on purpose to the cross. And when he got to the cross, John MacArthur said on 12, at 12 o'clock noon, on that Good Friday, hell came to Golgotha because the Father poured out his wrath on the Son because of my sin, because of your sin, because of the sin of the whole world. And Jesus suffered in eternity from 12 o'clock till 3 o'clock. And the worst pain he suffered was when, because of our sin, the Father turned his back on the Son and the Son was separated from the Father. You and I as believers will never know that separation. But if this morning you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you die in that place, one day you'll know that for all eternity. So it wasn't that he was picking on a poor guy that didn't have the right clothes. The clothes were provided but this man thought he could just come as he was, just come however you want. Listen, Jesus takes you wherever you're at, but he changes you to be like his son. He changes you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. That's the gospel. Jesus took upon him the sin of the world. God the Father poured out his wrath for the sin of the whole world on his son. And because he was God, he withstood the wrath of God. And his last words on the cross were, the Greek words of victory, it is finished. There's nothing left for any human being to do but to accept Jesus' gracious invitation to come to the banquet. And I'm sure he looked at those Pharisees because he just told them, you will not make it in your own righteousness. He started out his teaching with the Pharisees and talking to the people in front of the Pharisees, saying, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven, because their righteousness was not enough. Not enough. And then he ends with this. Many are called, few are chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. That phrase reflects the scriptural balance between God's sovereignty and man's will. The invitation of the wedding feast went out to many. Everyone to whom the gospel message is sent, but few of those who heard the call were willing to accept it and therefore be among the chosen. See, the gospel has two things that don't seem to come together in our mind. It says in Ephesians, chosen before the foundation of the world. The only reason anyone would ever accept Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit comes to your life and shows your lost condition. That's grace. And it says in that old gospel song, Amazing Grace, the second verse, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. That was God's grace. You would never come to that on your own. No matter how much free will you have, you would always choose yourself and sin. But God. Ephesians chapter 2. But God. In that while we are sinners, Christ died for us. But God. That's one side. Chosen before the foundation. But the other side is whosoever will may come. The last invitation in the book of Revelation is Whoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. 
You want Jesus, you can have him. Just accept the invitation. God gets all the glory for salvation. We don't get any. You don't get any because you're smart enough to choose God. You see that paradox in John chapter 1 verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born. Not because of blood, not because your parents were Christians, nor by the will of man, nor by your own will, but of God. There's the balance. Whosoever will may come, chosen before the foundation of the world. God gets all the glory for our salvation. Man takes all the responsibility for their rejection. We see that because when he said, friend, why did you come? Why did he call him friend? He's about to throw him into hell. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He calls him friend, I invited you. Why did you think you could come on your own? And the Bible says the man was speechless. You see, there'll be no excuses before God when he condemns you to hell. You've rejected the king's offer, his gracious, amazing, glorious offer, the blood of his only begotten son. You'll have no excuses. But I didn't know. No, you knew. The Bible says Jesus was the offering for sin that all the world would become guilty. And just like that man, those that reject Christ will have nothing to say at that point except this. Philippians chapter 2 says that before being cast into hell, every mouth, every knee will bow and every mouth will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There are nothing but believers in hell. Do you know that? The Bible says the devils believe and tremble. You may say, well, I believe. Here's the question. Have you submitted? Have you submitted to the gospel? Many are called. Few are chosen. Father, we thank you for the gospel. Well, we're amazed that you chose any of us. We're amazed at your grace. Lord, now as we come to the table... Lord, I pray for those that may not know you. I don't know hearts, but you know hearts. Lord, this is a family deal. This is a family dinner. But Lord, they could be part of the family. Lord, if it, in the quietness of their, where they sit in their own heart, they just cry out to you. They say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin and rose again. And today I take you as my Savior, Lord Jesus. Here's my life that they might partake in this family meal. And Lord, we give you all the glory. Lord, I pray that you be blessed in our worship right now. Tune our hearts. Convict us of sin. Grant us repentance that we might come with clean hands to the table. In Jesus' name, amen.